Hello and welcome to College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can find me on Twitter at Bogman Sports. I am joined by John Lobb, the gridiron scholar and the owner and proprietor of College Football Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Nick, what is going on? Oh, not much, not much. I uh, appreciate John coming in and pinch hitting for Xavier, whose computer is on the fritz. So uh, welcome, John. Hey, thanks for having me on. You know, you're interrupting my old man nap, but I'm okay with coming on at this time. <laughs> John, you're not that old. There's no reason for you to be taking a nap. Just yeah, because you know, I like... call you old on uh, on campus doesn't mean that you're nap old. I But I do like the nap after dinner. <laughs> Just kidding. After dinner. It's 6 o'clock. <laughs> hey, remember, uh, we get up early here. I'm a teacher, so I, I like my early dinner, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, today on the show, we're going to be talking about the Big 12. Uh, yes, the Big 12. And uh, we have got some major opinions here. And, uh, I mean, Nick, do you want to dive right into it, or do you want to give an overall arching statement on the Big 12 before we start? Well, the, the first thing I noticed when I was looking through uh, the preseason projections and the uh, team strength ratings, all of which are, of course, available uh, to our patrons at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge, uh, there is a very uh, wide middle in the Big 12. I it, it seems we've got a lot of teams that are in uh, that 5 to 7 to 7 and 5 range could go a lot of different directions. I think pretty much the distance between uh, number 3 and number 9 is very 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 small. Uh, so should be uh, should be very interesting. It's an interesting conference with a lot of upheaval as far as coaching goes this year and uh, players turning over. A lot of the big players from this conference uh, have left. So it'll be interesting to see how everything pans out. But let's go ahead and dive right in and start at dead last. And you know who it is because it's always dead last. It's Kansas, uh, an FBS ranking, Nick, of 91, a conference ranking of 10. Uh, the strengths on their team are the defensive backs, uh, Puka Williams, who only got a one-game suspension, and the returning offensive line. Uh, the disadvantages of this team that we have listed here are uh, the head coaching rating uh, surprisingly and the front seven on the defense Nick so uh, explain to us a little bit about Kansas what we can and cannot expect from them I mean you know only favored in two games which is shocking even to me that there's favored <laughs> in two but uh, <laughs> what do you think about Kansas this year uh, well, I, you brought up a good point. It was uh, kind of interesting that uh, Les Miles did not come in higher uh, with his head coach rating. He uh, actually ranks, just like Kansas, 91st in uh, the country and 10th in the pack, or excuse me, in the Big 12. So uh, I was a little surprised with that. Obviously, he's a national championship winning head coach, but he's been out of the game for a couple of years and uh, didn't have great success um, that last year at LSU, or half a year, really. So uh, that definitely brought his number down a little bit. But uh, he's, he's taken over a huge reclamation project in Kansas. This quite possibly is the toughest job in uh the country uh, at least at the power five level <laughs> <laughs> good point good point uh, at least at the power five level kansas uh probably yes. is one of the toughest 
Um, but uh, yeah, there, there are a couple of bright spots. I, I was definitely surprised that the secondary ranked as highly as they do in our roster strength ratings. They're 18th in the country and fourth in the Big 12. So in a conference that you know likes to put the ball in the air quite a lot, uh, there's definitely um, uh, one area of strength that they can really rely on. Uh, and they should be able to run the football decently well. Uh, Williams, you know, whatever you, you think about the one game suspension when he's back uh, is definitely one of the more talented runners in the conference. And they've got a little depth there, too, in Khalil uh, Herbert and Dom Williams. So should be able to run the football. They've got some interesting wide receivers, an Alabama transfer, uh, Daylon Charlotte. Um, hasn't quite lived up to expectations yet. Uh, brought in a couple of junior college uh, receivers as well that should get some early playing time. Andrew Parchment uh, probably is going to start right away, has a chance to uh, potentially become that number two guy, maybe even number one um, in the offense. And then it looks like uh, another Juco guy, Thomas McVitie, uh, has the inside track at the quarterback uh, race over former starter, Carter Stanley. So a lot of things in motion. There are a couple of uh, potential bright spots, but they're definitely going to be at a talent disadvantage most every week. And then uh, experience on defense in the front seven is, is a major issue. I know, John, you're like me. You're a little bit more as far as college football goes. You're more on the fantasy side than the betting side. But uh, do you have an outlook for the Jayhawks or because we ignore them so much in college fantasy because outside of Puka Williams, we don't want to mess with them at all. Do you just kind of tend to ignore this team? No, I, I watch it because there have been some fantasy players. And if you're playing DFS, they can be on a slate versus an Oklahoma state and there can be value. So there, I mean, I think the key to being good at college fantasy football and DFS college fantasy football. So you have to know everyone. But I think this team is really going to come down to Les Miles. I was looking up his record here. He's 142 and 55 in 17 years. Now, he had coached at Oklahoma State from 2001 and 2004. So he's familiar with this conference. And he had a 28 and 21 record, which isn't that bad at Oklahoma State. He's only one and two in the bowl games. Now, we know he won a national championship at LSU. But we also know maybe only other than Jim Harbaugh, he might have the most Neanderthal-like offense <laughs> in the nation. So I look at this Oklahoma or this Kansas team and I say to myself, we know they're going to run the ball. Les Miles is a conservative coach, but he's in a wide open offense. So then I say, you know, the game plan is going to go away from him, I think, often. I mean, how is he going to stay up with Oklahoma, Texas? You know, even how, how are you going to be able to compete with um, Baylor and TCU? So that's going to force them to throw the ball in the SEC, his conservative offense. And he was just so loaded with talent on the defensive side of the football. He could win those Neanderthal-type matchups against the Crow Magnum man. I don't think he can do this here. He's going to have to get a quarterback down the road. The irony is he never got a quarterback really at LSU. Who was the bat the best? Zach Meckenberger. Um, and that's because he <laughs> and, and why is that? He had Odell and Jarvis Landry, 
We thought that he was a good quarterback. It just happened that he had two of the greatest receivers on one college team of all time. So, I mean, I really question this. Williams is very interesting. I just moved him way up in my rankings. I have him in the top 30 now, maybe top 35. I don't have it in front of me. I was updating my rankings today because, as Scott alluded to, he's only going to miss one game. So they're going to run the football. He's a pretty good pass catcher. But this is the type of team I'm more interested in 2021 to see where Miles has the talent level and what does his offense look like. Nick, I think we can agree that that's the most we're going to talk about Kansas for the rest <laughs> of the season, right? I mean, uh, I mean, if we're lucky, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, Kansas, less, they're going to go as far as Les Miles takes them. I think the big thing for him is recruiting, obviously, for the future of this team. But this year, I mean, you know, we have them rated 91st. Uh, they're going to be brutal. They're by far the lowest ranked in the the Big 12. So I think we can move on. And surprisingly, looking at team number nine, Nick, uh, like you mentioned, there's a lot of these middling teams in here. There's going to be a lot of five and seven to seven and five teams in the Big 12 because we have so much turnover. So uh, putting this uh, conference together is a little bit more difficult than it has been in the past. And sitting at number nine in the conference, number 62 overall, is Texas Tech, obviously, uh, you know, Wells coming over from Utah State uh, and their strengths are quarterback, wide receiver depth. They're always going to have that. They have a manageable schedule. Uh, core of the offensive line is coming back. The linebackers, uh, they have a poor defensive track record and unpredictable transition is what we have uh, pinpointed as their weaknesses. And I got to tell you, uh, poor defensive track record is being uh, pretty generous to poor defensive track records. I mean, I, I remember watching Kalen Balazs score seven touchdowns against Texas Tech uh, when they were playing against ASU. And Kalen Balazs, while he was a good, uh, you know, college football running back, he's not amazing. And there's no reason for him to be scoring seven touchdowns, Nick. I don't know if you remember that game, but Texas I Tech. Remember that game. Yeah, I know John remembers because we were, I think we were tweeting about it during it. It was insane. We were. Um, but um, Texas Tech this season, uh, what do you think about the outlook on, on this squad? Well, it, it's definitely interesting. And, and as you mentioned, again, there's there's such parity, it seems, in this conference or, or the potential for it, at least. And, and tech, we have them uh, projected to win five point six games on average. That's actually just one more win than we have Kansas projected to win on average. Just the way the win probabilities add up for the Jayhawks, they're at four point six nine, even though we only have them favored in two games. So this is a, a pretty comparable team uh, from a win projection standpoint. Uh, but we do have the Red Raiders favored in five games. Uh, big reason for that, as you mentioned, the strengths offensively, they've, they've got a lot of things coming back in place. Uh, Alan Bowman, assuming he's uh, healthy again, we certainly hope he is, um, he's going to have a, a wealth of options at receiver to work with. Um, they've always been deep, even though they lost their top pass catcher uh, from a year ago. They've uh, returned TJ Basher, who a lot of people thought uh, potential, you know, had the potential coming into last year to be the number one uh, receiver for them, and and uh, he struggled a little bit with injuries, but uh, has a chance to reclaim that 
you know, number one spot on the depth chart uh, again this year. But they've also got Seth Collins. They've got uh, Keyshawn Carter, who I'm really intrigued by, a sophomore. He's a, he's a small guy, but he's uh, incredibly fast. And they brought in two uh, pretty high profile transfers at receiver in McLean Mannix, who was uh, Nevada's number one wide out last year, and he uh, was able to become immediately eligible. And then R.J. Turner, who's an intriguing guy. He was the number two receiver at ULM last year, and uh, he's a big target, or, or a thick target, 6'2", 210, um, has a lot of uh, experience. He started 20 games for the Warhawks, has uh, put up six production points in his career. So uh, they've got you know, four or five guys that they're going to run in and out that really have the potential to be uh, big-time guys. It'll be interesting to see how Wells and offensive coordinator uh, David Yost spread the ball around. Um, And you mentioned the defensive track record as well. Um, This team was a little bit better than they looked on paper. Uh, The linebackers, that they've got coming back are, are two pretty good ones, Jordan Brooks and Rico Jeffers, and then they added a transfer from Cal, Evan Rambo. So uh, that unit together is uh, actually rated in the top 50, uh, which, you know, isn't great, but it might be better than you would expect um, as far as our uh, roster strength ratings go. And the secondary is decent. It's not super deep, but they've got uh, some pretty good starters, some veteran guys uh, at corner. Um, Adrian Fry, a sophomore, uh, got some all Big 12 recognition last year. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see what the new coaching staff looks like and how they're going to implement um, a new system on both sides of the ball. Uh, they shouldn't change probably too much on offense and Wells has done a pretty good job of tailoring things to the strength of the personnel on hand. Um, and then of course at, at running back, uh, Armand shine, Utah transfer. He took over as the top guy when Zach Moss got injured late last year and to Henry, both of those guys should probably play a little bit bigger role than maybe we've seen in the past with, with running back. So, um, Wells and, and the staff has some, uh, building blocks, uh, and they do have a pretty favorable schedule. They uh, get a lot of winnable games at home. They play Oklahoma State, Iowa State, TCU, Kansas State, all at home, um, which uh, those in a lot of ways we see as coin flip games. Uh, and then they do get um, an off week prior to the trip to West Virginia, which is always going to be difficult. That's got to be one of the longest uh, in-conference road trips there is, um, but at least the Red Raiders do have a week to prepare, uh, an extra week to prepare, so um, they should be in a lot of games. They'll be a dangerous team, but um, <laughs> there there definitely are some questions as well, just because we don't know exactly what they're going to look like. John, I mean, Texas Tech, we love because, you know, maybe we're not going to guess right, but someone from this team always shows up to produce for CFF. Uh, the defense, like you know, uh, Nick mentioned, has been better in recent years and is rated better than it probably ever has been in a while. Uh, what do you think about Texas Tech for the season, John? I'm going to miss Cliff Kingsbury. <laughs> we love these high-scoring games. And while Nick is right, the defense looked a little bit better when you watched him on the eyeball test. The numbers still weren't there, but... I was looking at Matt Wells. He's 44 and 34 career, all at Utah State in the Mountain West Conference. 
And what I'm impressed about is last year he led the development of Jordan Love. And Utah State posted an 11-2 mark last year. Jordan Love, six foot four, 220 pounds. He threw the football all over the place with 32 touchdown passes. So now you have Wells coming into Texas Tech with a lot of offensive talent. Nick told you about a lot of it. I hope that Alan Bowman makes a step forward. So there's hope from a college fantasy football standpoint here. I know some people like TJ Vasher. Last year, he was one of my top guys. It didn't pan out that way. Texas Tech can be very tricky. They almost always have a wide receiver you didn't expect to come to the forefront. Let's see who becomes the top alpha dog in the passing game this year. But it is going to be a difference. And I just don't, I can't imagine him scoring as often and in such as abundance as they did under Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah, and I think if you're a better the, the thing for Texas Tech used to be uh, bet the over, right? Because they're going <laughs> to score a bunch of points on whoever they play, and they can never stop anyone. So it's <laughs> never. Yeah, it's bet the over. So uh, I don't think that that is what we have with Texas Tech this year. So they're gonna you're going to have to look uh, once they start getting into a little bit deeper into that schedule because, like Nick mentioned, Montana State and UTEP to open are not going to be uh, great games. You know, uh the you know at Arizona at Oklahoma then we're going to start knowing who Texas Tech is in weeks uh, three and four but early on we still probably won't know uh, the next team here is Virginia uh, West Virginia we got them ranked at eighth in the conference clearly 45 overall though so we're getting into these really good teams uh, in the Big 12 so uh, obviously another team with a uh, coaching change going from Holgerson to Neil Brown. And uh, they, they do have some strengths here. I mean, the running back depth is very good. Kennedy McCoy, Neil Brown. Uh, O-line potential is really good. They've got some good transfers as well. Uh, but they lost some transfers. Uh, they lost um, so much of this offense from last season. I mean, Will Greer, David Sills, Jennings, and... Um, I'm missing someone else. Is uh, who, who am I missing? Who's the other wideout they lost? Uh, uh, well, Marcus Sims was a late. Sims. Uh, yeah, he he had to go in the supplemental draft. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, another uh, big loss. Another big loss for them. So uh, I mean, Nick, how how did they deal with replacing all these guys and a new coach coming in? Well, th- there is definitely a ton of turnover. And one of the things that Brown did was uh, brought in some, you know, fairly high profile transfers to kind of offset uh, some of the big names that he lost. Obviously, the the most well known uh, is Austin Kendall, former Oklahoma backup. Uh, it sounded like this time last year, Kendall was giving Kyler Murray a, a run for his money at the, at the uh, starting job there. I'm not sure exactly how true that was, but, uh, um, you know, a lot of people think pretty highly of Austin Kendall. I know he's got a, a very strong arm. Um, he is still technically in a battle for the job here with Jack Allison, former Miami transfer, uh, who got an opportunity to start when Will Greer sat out the bowl game. I personally was not very impressed with Allison's performance. Uh, I know statistically uh, he did put up, you know, decent yardage total, but he just didn't look comfortable uh, from what I saw. So I would expect that Kendall's got the inside track to the job here um, and does have uh, a pretty strong 
rushing attack that they can lean on. It, it really seems like Brown is going to, despite his background as an air raid disciple, uh, has shifted a bit in his philosophy. I would not be surprised if he runs the ball more in year one at West Virginia probably than he did ever at, at Troy um, because he does have a big athletic offensive line. He's got a running back depth chart that goes at least three deep on guys that you feel pretty comfortable with. Kennedy McCoy, Martel Petaway, and Letty Brown all um, have had success at different times. Um, Brown is, is a particularly intriguing guy for me. I think he's probably third on the depth chart, but uh, if you go back and look at his high school highlights, did a lot of really, really exciting exciting things. Um, of course, he was playing part of his high school career in Delaware, so maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. But, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've got some talent on offense, and, and obviously we've seen West Virginia put up a lot of points in the past, um, so the potential is there, and we know Brown is a rising star as a head coach, so you think that this team probably won't fall too far, but they're because they lost so many transfers, especially on defense and particularly in the secondary, um, a total of uh, three guys, two, two uh, defensive backs uh, and their starting center all transferred. So, so uh, three potential starters, projected starters uh, transferred over the off season. That's not really a, a great sign. And this is a, a program that relied pretty heavily on transfers and junior college players and things like that under Holgerson. So the depth just doesn't seem like it's uh, quite there. If something were to go wrong, if some injuries were to hit like they did on defense last year, I'm not sure that the depth is quite as good this year. Um, so there's the potential uh, that this could be a year zero type situation. It seems like Brown is kind of, you know, thinning out some of the, the guys that maybe don't necessarily want to be there or don't fit the new philosophy. Um, so it, it, you know, this might be uh, kind of a rough year potentially, um, if that is the case. Uh, but one thing that should make you feel good if you're a, a West Virginia fan, uh, Vic Coning, who's the new defensive coordinator, was, uh, of course, the defensive coordinator at Troy. He arrives with an 88.79 DC rating. So that's just like our head coach ratings, but obviously for the, for the coordinators. Um, that rating would be uh, 16th in the country and first among all Big 12 defensive coordinators, which was definitely a surprise to me when I saw that. Um, so the, the potential for... Uh, you know, a, a, a schematic transition that's going to uh, pay off in the Big 12, which we know is uh, obviously a high-flying league, a lot of offense. There's the potential that Koning could come in and uh, really uh, have a positive impact on this unit from a schematic standpoint. I know he did a lot of great things uh, with uh, sort of a hybrid linebacker, defensive end, Russian kind of guy. Um, they had a lot of success with that at Troy. Uh, got a lot of pressure on opposing quarterbacks. So it'll be interesting to see um, maybe who fills that role. One guy that jumps out to me is Vendarius Cowan, who was an Alabama transfer, sat out last year. Um, has the, you know, obviously sky-high potential. Um, 
coming out of high school. He was very, very highly rated, the top-rated player on the roster right now. So uh, somebody like that could maybe fit that role. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who it is. But uh, this, again, kind of like Texas Tech, because there is so much transition, it's it's really kind of uh, difficult to project exactly what we're going to see. And I think that's why, uh, you know, 5.84 wins on average and a six and six record as far as uh, how we have them favored seems about right. This could go either way. John, I think that's a great point that Nick made about uh, West Virginia potentially being a year zero because uh, you know Neil Brown runs the system differently. They run the ball way more. It's run and play defense like they did at Troy. So uh, I mean, does that make this you know because they've lost so much? a roster more built for a new head coach to go straight to the running game instead of a high-flying system like they had with Real Greer and all those guys? They, I believe that their personnel and with the new scheme that is, you know, Brown is bringing with them from Troy, they're definitely going to go to the ground game. I have not been investing in the Mountaineers whatsoever in college fantasy football. I've done seven drafts. I don't think I own one West Virginia player because I do think it will be the running game, but they have a three-headed backfield. If you could guarantee me that one of these young men would earn 220 carries, I might be interesting, interested in them. But, you know, I'm looking here at Neil Brown. He was 35-16 and 16 at Troy. He has 3-0 and in the bowl games. I like watching the Sun Bowl Conference. So he definitely has a nice resume here. I just think he needs to get his personnel onto the field, get his type of players, and kind of, you know, get a quarterback. I mean, it's a big going, you know, from Will Greer right now, and we have T.J. Simmons. Now, I'm sorry, not T.J. Simmons, Austin Kendall. There's a big difference here. So I don't expect very much out of this West Virginia team from a college fantasy perspective. All right, so moving on here, uh, we've got Kansas State at number seven in the conference, 40 overall. Uh, Chris Kleeman comes in to be the new head coach for this team. So hopefully moving away from Bill Snyder, who is literally almost 100 years old, to go with uh, the, the quarterback from North Dakota State who has won four national titles there. Uh, it seems like this is a big upgrade at least as far as moving your offense forward. Uh, they have uh, a decent returning uh, defensive line. Uh, they've got a pretty good uh, you know, run game coming back as well. So uh, this is, you know, they, they've got James Gilbert transferring in. Th this team, I just never know what to think of them because it feels like as soon as I think they're going to be pretty good, they're bad. And as soon as I think, yeah, they're pretty good, they lose a weird game. So... Help me sort out Kansas State here, Nick. I don't know what to think of them. Yeah, and it, it you know it's starting to feel a little like a broken record because Kansas State, like Texas Tech, like West Virginia, a lot of unknowns and a coaching change. Uh, I was pretty shocked when I saw Chris Kleiman's uh, head coach rating. He's got an 87.8 head coach rating, which we do adjust that for his FCS level of play. And he gets a 10% penalty uh, for being a first-year head coach at a new school, but still was able to put up almost an 88, which is fourth in the league, 21st in the country. And that was somewhat shocking 
to me uh, to see him rated so highly as somebody who's not coached at the FBS level. But obviously, uh, North Dakota State is one of the great dynasties probably in college football history. Um, He did have a lot to do with their success there. I know he took over for Craig Bowl, um, but still really has sort of elevated them, took it to another level the last few years under Kleiman, uh, who is a defensive-minded head coach. And uh, that should uh, help keep the the defense stable they were a pretty good unit before the defensive line as you mentioned is definitely a strength uh reggie walker is a 100 rated player in our vgr plus ratings he was also one of the top 100 uh players in the country uh that you uh, might have read about we we wrote um in conjunction with fansided.com they uh posted our top 100 players coming into the season and walker was on that list he's been very productive as a pass rusher um and then uh trey deshaun the uh 300 pounder there in the middle um the two of them are, are certainly uh two of the most experienced um defensive linemen in the big 12 had a lot of success and and give uh, definitely a, a good foundation for this new coaching staff on defense. Offensively, it's it's going to be interesting. Um, North Dakota State they they run the ball a lot. Uh, they use multiple running backs, um, and we've obviously seen some success at the quarterback position. Produced a couple of uh, pretty high uh, name pro prospects uh, over the last few seasons. Skylar Thompson is is the unquestioned starter for the first time in his career at quarterback. Even though he's made 14 starts, he'd never really had the job outright. Snyder um, would you know bring in Alex Delton, it seemed like, almost just on a whim. Uh, that shouldn't be an issue anymore, even though John Holcomb, the 250-pound redshirt freshman backup, uh, is intriguing. Uh, he's probably not going to eat into Thompson's playing time very much. And we know that Thompson uh, does have some mobility. So uh, North Dakota State did use the quarterback in the run game a bit. So we should expect that to continue with Thompson as well. And James Gilbert and Jordan Brown uh, are two uh, pretty productive players. Brown came in as a higher level recruit, uh, played 28 games at North Carolina, had some success uh, two years ago, uh, really put up some some good yardage numbers. And then James Gilbert uh, at Ball State, obviously a, a Different level of competition in the MAC, but uh, definitely had some success. He put up 11 production points during his time with the Cardinals, so uh, he's had a lot of work. He's also struggled with some injuries, but um, has been a productive player. Receiver is an issue. Uh, the two guys that the coaching staff seem to be highest on during the spring are uh, a walk-on and a former walk-on, which to me is is a little bit of a red flag. Um, I, I, you know, walk on stories are great and you definitely like to see guys sort of rise above, um, their projections, but, um, uh, I'm a little bit worried that this team would be relying so much on players that were, you know, unrated coming out of high school. Um, so I don't expect very much out of the, the passing attack. It's probably is going to be a very run heavy, uh, team. I'm going to rely on a pretty veteran defense um obviously with the the defensive line as uh the big strength up front so i think we're going to see some similar things uh maybe try to shorten the game in ways that snyder did uh but we'll probably see some new wrinkles as well and and obviously climbing uh 
we think, you know, or the numbers think very highly of him, uh, which probably gives Kansas State a boost in our ratings compared to where most people have him. We actually uh, have Kansas State um, projected to win five games in conference and seven overall uh, as far as the games they're favored in, which is probably much, much higher than you're going to see anywhere else. That would be a third place finish uh, in the league. Um, based on how our, our favorites stack up. So uh, I'm a little worried that maybe we're too high on, on Chris Kleiman in year one. But on the other hand, he's got a great track record, and, and it shouldn't be a very uh, difficult transition for the Wildcats. Probably a little smoother maybe even than Texas Tech. Um, I think they have an opportunity maybe to surprise some people. John, another head coach changing in the Big 12 here. And like Nick mentioned, uh, you know, we're going to this is yet another team that's kind of leaning more towards a uh, better defense and run game. We haven't seen a good defense overall for the Big 12 in a long time, but Kansas State might be representing that uh, in a couple years. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be this year, though. So what do you think about Kansas State, John? So first, I'm a big fan of Bill Snyder. I mean, I grew up in the 70s and 80s when Kansas State was the same awful. age as him. You're both taking naps. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I remember there was a Sports Illustrated article that said Manhattan, Kansas was the worst job in America. And Bill Snyder had turned that team around. So I've always respected what he did there. So great career. Sad to see him go. But, you know, Nick was talking about it. I looked up. Kleiman's record. He was phenomenal. 72 and 13. I mean, that is off the charts great. Four FCS national championships. What impressed me the most is he won those titles with two different quarterbacks Carson Wentz, who is now the current Eagle, and Easton Stick. So, what you have here is a great coach with a great system. He knows how to win. He knows how to build a program. He knows how to keep that program moving forward. He probably inherits the best overall team of the four coaches that we've mentioned now. From top to bottom, I think Kansas State has the best overall talent. Now, I question how good Skylar Thompson is going to be. I agree to meet or with Nick. My fantasy interest is in James Gilbert at the right price. Coming from the MAC conference, you know, I think he could step into this system, but we do know that he's going to use a bunch of backs. So I don't know if he gets a thousand yards. It would be great if he did, but he is a dual threat pass catcher. So whatever he gets on the ground, maybe he can complement it with 35 to 45 receptions. So it's an interesting team. I think they're moving in the right direction, but I'm not investing a lot in the Kansas State Wildcats this year. All right, Nick. So we're moving up to six. We're uh, you know just at the halfway point here in this conference. Uh, Baylor at six and number thirty-seven overall. The strengths uh, are uh, the quarterback Charlie Brewer, the running back depth. They have a uh, Hasty and Lovett. So uh, pretty good depth at running back there, and also. Um, you know, the front seven is pretty good. Last year, they allowed too many uh, big plays. Uh, they didn't get turnovers. They didn't uh, rush the passer efficiently. So that means uh, I, I have a tough time, Nick, deciding between who is the most boring team in the Big 12 between Baylor, Kansas State, and TCU. I mean, it's easily Kansas, but 
they don't really count. So uh, who, which boring team am I going to see in the Cactus Bowl, or excuse me, the Cheez-It Bowl this year is what I'm wondering. And it feels like it definitely could be Baylor. So um, ha- Baylor is kind of in this mix of all these teams between TCU and Kansas State. They're all ranked within uh, 16 spots or 14 spots of each other, uh, if I'm doing my math right here. So what do, what do we think about Baylor this season? Baylor should be a little bit more interesting this year. Matt Rule's first team, obviously, was a bit of a disaster. They won just one game. But last year, uh, coached them up, improved, won six games during the regular season, and then won a shootout in the bowl game, uh, part of which was because they could not tackle Keyshawn Vaughn, the great Vanderbilt running back. So uh, that's definitely an issue. They allowed way, way, way too many big plays. uh, But they definitely did make some progress offensively. Charlie Brewer is definitely in the top half of the conference as far as quarterbacks go, might have an opportunity to jump up maybe into that, you know, top uh, three or four uh, in the conference, depending on uh, how you, how you like the rest of them, how they stack up. But as an overall team, uh, this is a much stronger uh, from a talent standpoint, a much stronger roster this year than it was last year. We track our roster strength ratings from the end of the previous season to uh, this point in the preseason, and Baylor has seen their roster strength rating jump up four and a quarter points, which is by far the most in the Big 12 and the third most in the country. So uh, I, I have to think that's going to translate maybe into a little bit more excitement, uh, specifically from the offensive standpoint. Uh, as you mentioned, they're pretty deep at running back, Jamichael Hasty, uh, John Lovett, who they experimented a little bit uh, with as a safety in the spring. I heard some conflicting reports. It sounds like uh, recently they you know, decided that that's not going to take. He's going to be a running back only um, as a junior this year. But then I saw something else that said that the coaches thought he could be a 10-year pro as a safety. So not sure exactly where Lovett's going to fall, but um, they've got a third guy, Treston Ebner, that they're very high on as well. So it seems that this is definitely going to be a, a sharing the load situation uh, at the running back position which gives them options for sure. And then the receiving core got a big boost when Chris Platt got a sixth uh, year of eligibility. Pair him with Denzel Mims, who is, uh, has one of the, the uh, highest ceilings, I think, of receivers in the conference. Um, and then the coaching staff is also very high on Josh Fleeks, uh, the uh, sophomore. So that trio of receivers, um, they've got some depth there as well. It, put it all together and add an offensive line that showed some improvement over last year, um, more experience coming back. Uh, they've done some shuffling, uh, moved some guys around on that unit. So I think the offense is going to take a big step up and then defensively, they've got a lot of building blocks. They've got two guys that um, earned some all-conference recognition last year and defensive tackle James Lynch and middle linebacker Clay Johnson. And then they've got some very intriguing players who've uh, moved around, spent time at, at different positions. A guy like Blake Lynch, who's 
probably going to play linebacker this year. He spent some time at safety. He did a little wildcat quarterback in the past. He's been all around. And uh, one guy that uh, has, has definitely intrigued the coaches, I know Rob Solon, who's a backup defensive tackle. Uh, he has played multiple positions, spent some time at tight end already, uh, moved around on the defensive line. They're very high on him, think he has a high ceiling. So uh, the, the defense... Um, if they can cut down on the allowing the big plays, uh, this unit definitely has a chance to take another step up. We saw Matt Rule did some really good things uh, at Temple when he was in charge there. They were very physical on defense especially, and it seems like Baylor has taken a step in that direction. They play a pretty favorable schedule. We actually project them to win over seven games on average, uh, which is the third most in uh, the conference, just based on how tight everything is packed, 7.12 wins on average is, is number three in the league. Uh, and then we have them favored in seven games. So um, this is definitely a team that should get back to a bowl game. Uh, and the potential is there if some things click that they could challenge potentially for that number three spot in the standings. John Baylor, uh, I mean, interesting team for us in uh, CFF, we know that Hasty has been a guy for a while. We like Charlie Brewer. Denzel Mims is probably the first guy to come off the board for a team like Baylor. But uh, what do you think of the Bears this season? Now we get into the fantasy goodness. There are a lot of players that you like here if you're a college fantasy football fanatic like Scott and myself. Hey, I've liked Matt Rule since he was at Texas. I think he was the right guy to come in in 2017. I'm not going to go over, but if you're a college football fan, you knew there were a lot of problems culturally on that campus. He suffered through a 1-11 season, turned it around to 7-6 last year, which surprised me. I didn't think he'd get into a bowl. He got into a bowl, and he won. I'm very excited and happy to draft Charlie Brewer. I think he's very underrated. He passed for over 3,000 yards. He rushed for over 300, and he had 26 touchdowns. So I like this young man. He's a great second quarterback because there's a high ceiling when Baylor gets into a lot of these shootouts. And Nick had mentioned it. With Denzel Mims and Chris Platt at wide receiver, there's potential for explosiveness in this offense. I like the Baylor Bears a lot. Now we're getting to the meat and the potatoes of the college fantasy conference here. All right, so moving up to number five here, Nick, Oklahoma State, top 35. Um, a lot of high expectations, especially offensively for this team. Uh, they will have a new quarterback, whether it's Drew Brown uh, taking the reins or Spencer Sanders uh, going to do it. Tylen Wallace is huge. A.J. Green is a really good corner for this team. So they have a lot of depth on this roster that's pretty solid. Um, the pass rush dropped off. The defensive line is, is really the issue. And um, the, the offensive line is going to replace a bunch of players as well. So what is our overall outlook for Oklahoma State? Oklahoma State definitely makes things interesting. Um, they can beat anybody on any given Saturday, it seems. We've seen some great things um, from Coach Gundy, Mike Gundy, in the past. Uh, they upset, had some big upsets last year. They beat Texas. They beat West Virginia, uh, both highly ranked at the time. But then they also struggled to beat the teams that they were supposed to beat. So you couldn't really rely on the Cowboys uh, from week to week. But they've got 
Uh, obviously, a lot of very intriguing players. Spencer Sanders, it seems, has the inside track to start. We haven't seen him yet, but he came in um, as maybe one of the best quarterback recruits in uh, Oklahoma, the, the state of Oklahoma's history. Did a lot of great things as a high school player. He's uh, got a, a great arm. He's got um, the ability to do things uh, on the ground as well. So could be a, a very intriguing player. Could uh, really, really uh, come in and just light a spark for this offense uh, that they were missing at times last year with Taylor Cornelius. Um, he's definitely got a higher ceiling than Drew Brown, the former Hawaii starter, who started 22 games for the Rainbow Warriors, did some good things, took him to a bowl game a few years ago. Um, but uh, Brown, we thought, might be in the mix to start last year and then didn't see the field either. Cornelius, I think, took every single snap uh, for the Pokes last year. So uh, we're coming in pretty blind as far as seeing these quarterbacks, at least in, in the past uh, 12 months. So uh, a lot of people are very, very high on Sanders, I know. Another guy people are, are definitely high on, running back Chuba Hubbard. This guy is extremely explosive, has great speed, did a lot of great things in a backup role in the middle of the year and as a kick returner, and then really came on towards the end of the year as well uh, when he started to get the primary uh, carries when there were some injuries at the position. Tylen Wallace did uh, uh, some spectacular things. He really wasn't used much as a freshman. Um, I think he caught seven passes in 2017, something like that. Uh, but he exploded, put up huge numbers last year, um, and was really, really impressive. He was one of the guys I was I was trying to go back and catch up on some of the games that uh, I missed over the, the last year or just sort of remind me of, of some of the other ones. And Tyler Wallace was somebody that really jumped out, uh, made me say, wow, just a few times, just his catch radius, his, his explosiveness. Um, he's a a really, really fun player to watch. Um, Dylan Stoner is a good compliment in the receiving core, and uh, I'm I'm intrigued by uh, they call him the 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 cowboy back, I, I think, but the tight end uh, Jelani Woods is a former quarterback, um, but seems to be the guy who's going to start uh, full time at the tight end position this year, and uh, he's a, an, an athletic guy. I think he's got uh, a lot of potential as well. Um, the offensive line. Uh, they they started a lot of different guys last year. They had some injuries at the position, so uh, they ended up with uh, nine guys starting, moving in and out of the lineup. Um, the strength of the unit, uh, our offensive line strength rating, uh, puts the Cowboys actually at the uh, number 10 spot last in the Big 12 and 64th in the country. So that appears to be an issue, at least on paper. But um, Kansas State has had some pretty good offensive lines in the past. Uh, they've definitely been well coached. And uh, Gundy brought in uh, the Kansas State offensive line coach uh, as the new position coach there. So there's definitely an opportunity, if, if that unit's healthy, that they'll take another step forward. You mentioned A.J. Green. He was another guy that made me say wow when I was going back and watching games. He's very physical. Um, he is a just a solid corner. And this is a league that, you know, could definitely use um, some some corners that can cover. And even though, <laughs> even though uh, statistically they struggled against the pass um, and the pass rush really did tail off, as you mentioned, toward the end of the year, um, 
AJ Green is, is definitely a bright spot. So if he can get some help in the secondary, uh, and if the pass rush can be more consistent all year long, the defense has an opportunity maybe to, to take a step. Um, Calvin Bundage at linebacker is a hundred rated player. Uh, so obviously he's been productive in his career. Um, so they've got some interesting pieces, uh, but Kind of like some of the teams we talked about with coaching changes, there's a lot of unknowns just based on how much turnover there's uh, at Oklahoma State, particularly in the quarterback position, which um, seems to be pretty much settled most everywhere else in the conference. So, John, I mean, I wish that I could forget about Tylen Wallace and his, uh, what was it, 200 and something yards against Texas <laughs> last year. Uh, here it is. I just pulled it up. 10 catches for 222 and 2. Nobody could cover him. So I joke when I say blasphemy that no one can cover in this conference. I mean, Nick is right. Uh, th this team, uh, this conference doesn't have great uh, defense. But what do you think about Oklahoma State for this season? I mean, obviously, my favorite part of Oklahoma State every year is watching Mike Gundy say something crazy in a press conference. We're never going to beat uh, I'm a man, I'm 40, but he's a lot of fun to watch. Scott, I agree that Gundy is one of my favorite college coaches, especially at his press conferences. And we're now at a position in this conference where we have some stability. We know what we're getting out of the game plan. You know what the offense is going to look like. Nick was discussing all of the offensive talent around there. If it wasn't for LaVishka Chenault and Rondell Moore, who were such great waiver wire pickups last year, we would probably be talking more about Tillon Wallace because he was also a waiver wire pickup. I mean, think about that. Are we ever going to get three better waiver wire wide receivers than those three gentlemen? They were just stars last year. Now, I'm a little bit lower on Shane Spencer than most people. I think there is a floor here that people are ignoring. I see the ceiling. There's no question about it. Anyone in Gundy's offense could be an absolute superstar. But, uh, sorry. Spencer but Sanders. Spe yes. But Spencer Sanders has not guided this offense through an entire season where we know he's going to be consistent week in and week out. I'm comfortable having him as my number two quarterback. I am not willing to invest and make him the centerpiece, my number one quarterback, because I think people are missing the floor. I could be wrong because the ceiling is there, but I'm a little bit apprehensive compared to other CFF analysts. So uh, moving over here, and, and I mentioned this team is boring, but I'm excited <laughs> to see what they have this year because so much has left in Iowa State. And they're number four in the conference, number 34 overall, one spot ahead of Oklahoma State. Uh, Brock Purdy is coming back. They got a lot of uh, returning on defense on the line and in uh, as far as linebackers go, but they lo lose Montgomery, so it's replacing the running back. Hakeem Butler's gone, replacing him as well. Uh, offensive line uh, has some uh, newcomers as well as the uh, secondary. So uh, Matt Campbell, one of the best coaches in college football, probably going to be uh, a pro at some point in the near future because he has been getting those type of interviews. Nick, what do we think about Iowa State for 2019? They're definitely an intriguing team, um, and a lot like Oklahoma State, they've got some questions at some uh, 
pivotal position, so you're not exactly sure if they're going to be able to, to fill those holes um, as well as they would like. I'm very high on Campbell. I think he's probably better uh, than his head coach rating. Um, he's He ranks 31st in our metrics. Uh, I think he's probably, uh, if we were to, to sit down and, and make a list of who do you think actually is, is a better X's and O's kind of guy, I think Campbell has done a great job and his staff has done a great job of making adjustments. They've been very flexible on both sides of the ball. They've they've uh, done an about face, you know, two or three or four weeks into the season. Last year it was on offense when they turned to Purdy. Uh, they really kind of adapted their offensive system to fit his skill set. Um, and then two years ago it was on defense where they took a bye week and then basically uh, threw everything out, put in a new base defense and uh, started to, to – uh, show improvement that way. So he's he's shown the ability to make adjustments when it's needed. I think he's probably a top, if not top 10, at least maybe top 15 coach in the country. And, and I certainly wouldn't be surprised if the NFL comes after him. Um, on offense, offensive line is uh, a steady position. Uh, all five starters return and uh, they all combine to start 114 games uh, together. So uh, that's the third most in the country, but this unit uh, only ranked 90th in our offensive line performance rating last year. So uh, it's definitely got room for improvement. You like to see experience, but uh, we've studied it before and, and the data shows that there's actually not a uh, correlation between the experience of an offensive line and the wins, uh, plus or minus for uh, a team. So uh, if that unit can take another step, it's definitely going to help the transition at running back. Campbell was quoted recently saying that there's five guys in competition for one spot. So it sounds like he wants to get a primary guy like David Montgomery was the last couple of years, but there are five guys in contention. So don't know who it's going to be. Sheldon Crony has the most experience, uh, but Kine uh, Nwangu, uh, I'm, I'm sure I butchered that. Uh, How do you that say he's... it, John? <laughs> oh, please don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, he got some all all conference love as a kick returner, and they think he's he's potentially the fastest guy on the roster. So you definitely want to get the ball in his hands. Seems like he could maybe be a guy that um, takes that number one spot. If not, he's definitely going to get uh, worked in the rotation a little bit, maybe uh, draw up some special plays, some sweeps and things like that, because you want to get your fastest guy the ball. Um, and then they brought in two pretty highly rated uh, freshmen, uh, Jareel Brock and Brees Hall. Uh, both come in as, as uh, four-star running backs, which is pretty rare at Iowa State. So uh, you have to think that they'll be in the mix for playing time. And I've seen some people that think that Johnny Lang is going to be the number one running back. So uh, I've seen probably four or five different projections based on these five guys of the pecking order. So it, really, we just don't know who it's going to be. Um, and then at receiver, uh, obviously, they lost to Keem Butler, who... Uh, I, I happened to right before we got on, I was watching a replay of the Oklahoma State, or excuse me, Oklahoma and Iowa State game from last year. It was early in the season before Purdy was the quarterback, uh, but uh, Butler just torched Oklahoma. I mean, they they you know he he was uh, just 
taller, more physical, more athletic, faster. Uh, he, he probably, if we're going to uh, look at Oklahoma and they're just horrible uh, statistics from last year, I think Butler might have had something to do with that because I think he probably broke, uh, you know, uh, made him a lot less confident after that, took him down a peg. So, um they need to find somebody who's going to fill that role. Is it going to be LaMichael Petway, who's the Arkansas transfer? He's the biggest uh, receiver that it seems is going to be uh, maybe in that first uh, group of three starters. They do have another six foot six guy in Sean Shaw, who didn't see the field last year as a, as a true freshman. So can he uh, step up as a redshirt freshman? And another guy that seems to be getting some good reviews as a redshirt freshman is Joseph Skates. Uh, six point or excuse me a six foot three guy so um, all of those will be competing with uh, Deshante Jones and Tariq Milton kind of for that number one spot it's probably going to be Jones that gets the most targets this year since he and Purdy worked together a a good bit last year but I'm also intrigued to see if the tight ends get involved a little bit more Um, in that game I watched against Oklahoma they did try to get the ball to Chase Allen, who's a highly rated um, tight end, six foot seven, 240. They've got another guy, Charlie Kohler, who's 6'6", 250, and yet another, Dylan Soner, who's 6'7", 271. So they've got some huge tight ends, and uh, Allen particularly uh, has done some good things with the ball in his hand. So I'd like to see those tight ends get involved a little bit more. They only targeted them uh, 8.7% of the time last year, which is about five percentage points lower than the FBS average. So um, interesting to see how that all shakes out. But defensively, this is one of the uh, either number one or number two, uh, the best defense in, in the Big 12. Defensive line, they've got two all-conference candidates. Ray Lima, the nose guard, really just doesn't get enough recognition. He's probably uh, the best interior defensive lineman in the conference. And then Jaquan Bailey has been just incredibly productive. Linebackers, they've got two highly productive players in Marcel Spears, who's a 100-rated player like Bailey. And then Mike Rose, who is a true freshman. Uh, This is a guy who got one uh, Power Five scholarship offer. It was Iowa State. He came in, was the starting middle linebacker immediately, put up 15 production points in his first year. And then another first-year player who was a transfer, uh, Greg Eisworth, came in and put up an all-conference uh, performance as a safety. He's going to play a nickelback this year. Um, so they've got talent at all three levels. And as I mentioned before, uh, the coaching staff has done a great job putting these guys in position to be successful. So uh, this is a strong team. Uh, we have them favored in seven games, and it looks like they're going to win about that many on average uh, in our probability. So definitely another bowl team, maybe with the potential to, uh, if a few things break right, make a challenge for a spot in the championship game. John, Iowa State, what are you buying in uh, with Matt Campbell's squad here? So first, boo on the defense. We don't want (laughs) defense in the Big 12. Just put it away. We want balls (laughs) all over the place. Now, the only guy I'm really interested in, and I've gotten some pushback on Twitter, is Brock Purdy. They say he's a top 12 college fantasy football quarterback, and I just don't see that with losing Akeem Butler Losing David Montgomery. Hey, I understand that he went seven and two. He saved their season. They were one and three. The Cyclones were a mess. They turned it around, but he's a young man and he loses two incredibly productive offensive players. It's going to be hard to replace those 
players immediately. Maybe as the season progresses, they find another playmaker at wide receiver. Maybe they find a star running back, or maybe they use a committee in the backfield. But right now, the only guy I'm interested in is Brock Purdy, but I have him outside of my top 36. All right, moving into the top three here, and uh, TCU is coming in at three. And, I mean, they have got some really good players. I mean, John and I are huge fans of Jalen Rager, but uh, it it seems to me that he's going to be a better pro because TCU can't find him a decent quarterback, which is one of the main problems uh, haunting TCU at this point is – uh, finding a quarterback to start for this team. I mean, right now they're talking about how it's a huge battle. It was the problem in the Cheez-It Bowl that we talked about in the last show because they played Cal. But Alex Delton uh, is transferring in from Kansas State, and he is a runner. He's not a passer. So uh, if he's the guy that they go with, it feels like, you know, we're going to take a hit on Rager. And I didn't realize Gary Patterson has been at this school forever. I didn't realize how long he has been there, but it's like it's over a decade at this point, well over a decade. So yeah, let me look that up because I noticed this thing, eighteen plus years at yeah, DC. was it two thousand two or two thousand one that he started there? It's been yeah, two thousand two, and he was yeah. yeah, and he was a defensive coordinator before that or something or special teams yeah for for Francione he was uh, yeah. he was promoted right yep. so he's but been there that for career. And we've seen some really good TCU teams. Yeah. We've also seen some pretty bad TCU teams. So, Nick, what side? I mean, we've got them third here, so obviously we're thinking they're going to be uh, better this season, right? Yeah. I, I The numbers like TCU okay, uh, but they don't. You know, this is a team that, that as you mentioned, has a, a history of uh, rising above projections uh, from time to time. Um, so this, uh, on paper, looks like a TCU team that maybe could be one of those that takes the next step and competes for a conference title. Uh, this team was decimated uh, at multiple positions by injury last year. They lost their best defensive player. Um, a lot of people believe the, uh, that Ross Blacklock was their best uh, defensive player before last season. Lost him uh, in fall camp to an Achilles. Uh, didn't play at all. Uh, he's back. They brought in a uh, transfer, Shamik Blackshear, to potentially start on the defensive line as well. So those are two really good guys that we didn't see last year up front for the Horn Frogs. So that unit we have to think is going to take uh, a step up. Jeff Gladney might be the best corner in the Big 12. Uh, he's definitely one of the most productive, one of the most active corners, uh, has an opportunity to, to really do some great things and lock down at least one side of the field uh, for the Horn Frogs. Uh, I'm a little bit concerned what the linebacker situation is going to be. Um, Garrett Wallow was a uh, safety in the past who's probably going to be one of their uh, two linebackers in their 4-2-5 uh, base. So they're small at that position. But as we know, in most cases in the Big 12, you're going to get spread out a lot. So uh, a small linebacker that's faster is not necessarily uh, going to hurt you. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But Patterson has been a terrific uh, head coach. He's also been a terrific defensive play caller. Um, 
they're going to be about as good as you can be in the Big 12 on defense, you have to think, as long as they stay healthy. Um, but this year, and you alluded to it, that the offense is definitely still a question. Who's going to win the quarterback job? Alex Delton seems like uh, he's got the inside track, even though Mike Collins um, did play uh, for Patterson uh, before, um, has the experience in the system. Uh, but it seems like Delton maybe um, gives them a, a something that they've lacked from an athletic standpoint, at least last year after Sean Robinson was injured. Um, and I to, a guy to keep an eye on is, is the true freshman, Max Dugan, I believe is how you pronounce it, uh, who's a uh, high four-star quarterback, definitely could be the quarterback of the future. But then they also brought in Ohio State transfer Matthew Baldwin. Not sure that uh, if he's eligible yet. I, I believe they're still waiting uh, to hear. But he's a redshirt freshman who um, it seemed was giving Justin Fields uh, uh, some competition with the Buckeyes uh, this spring. And so, Nick, I mean, they say if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one quarterback. What do you have <laughs> if you have six? Exactly. Exactly. So somebody's got to take uh, somebody's <laughs> got to take the reins. And uh, if it's going to be Delton, that's actually going to help improve TCU's rating uh, because he is uh, about ten points better, according to VGR Plus, than uh, the next two guys. So they've got some uh, running back. Uh, potential Darius Anderson is, is explosive. We have to see what Siwu uh, uh, Olanua screwed that up. I'm sure uh, what his <laughs> legal status is. Um, but uh, <laughs> but whoever it is, if they can get the ball to Jalen Rager, they're going to have an opportunity uh, to put some points up. So TCU is definitely going to be a dangerous team, and uh, they're going to play defense about as well as you could hope for in this league. So that is going to keep them in a lot of games for sure. Maybe an opportunity to pull off some upsets and maybe squeak into that uh, Big 12 championship game. John, what's your outlook on TCU this season? I'm just angry we got another good defense in this conference. But other <laughs> than that, I mean, I, I completely agree with Scott. If you have six quarterbacks, you are in big, big trouble. However, if there is any one fantasy player who is going to be successful independent of the quarterback, that is our man Jalen Rager. He's a spectacular player. I have him as my fifth-ranked Debbie wide receiver prospect. This young man turned down opportunity to play Alabama and Oklahoma to play for the Horn Frogs. He is just absolutely tremendous. Hey, I was kind of excited about Darius Anderson last year. I got him as like my fourth running back, but it just didn't work out for him. I ended up cutting him. Then he was kind of one of those players that kept going back and forth, waiver wire to your roster, depending on the matchup. I never hit it right. So I'm not sure if this running game is going to get it together this year. Obviously, I'm not interested in a team with the possibility of four different starting quarterbacks this year. So really, from a fantasy standpoint, I'm only looking at Jalen Rager as someone who I'm actively drafting and seeking. All right, I'm going to remain as professional as I possibly can here <laughs> as we move Stop on it. to the number two team in the Big 12 Conference. And we're moving up into a much higher level here, a 12 overall in our FBS rankings. Uh, it is my Texas Longhorns. Obviously, the strength is a Heisman candidate in a player like Sam Ellinger. 
when uh, you have so much questionable quarterback depth in the rest of this conference. I mean, it's, you know, Ellinger, uh, Hurts at Oklahoma. We've got Purdy and Charlie Brewer and everywhere else. There's some type of a question as far as the quarterback goes. Uh, but, you know, they lost a lot on defense this year, still have a really good secondary with uh, Caden Stearns back there and uh, Brandon Jones. So, uh, Nick, uh, tell me why my Longhorns are not going to be number one in the Big 12. Well, uh, it, it comes down to uh, roster strength, which is another name for talent. Uh, Texas has recruited very well. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be a burn, but uh, they they're, they come in second in a lot of uh, categories, one of which is roster strength. They're just not quite person-for-person uh, person, uh, talented as uh, Oklahoma is quite yet, at least on paper. Uh, but this is a team with elite talent, especially uh, at the quarterback position. If Sam Ellinger stays healthy, uh, and he did have some shoulder issues last year, cost him a couple of halves in a, in a couple of games. Um, if he stays healthy, he's going to put up huge numbers. Um, a lot of people are throwing, uh, you know, Tebow uh, in conversation with Ellinger, not only in sort of his style of play uh, as a guy who can run, but also uh, throw and, and, you know, put a an offense in a position to put a lot of points on the board, but he kind of has that folk hero uh, vibe to him as well that Tebow had. I mean, he's a local guy, loves Texas, you can tell, and, and it's been his life for a long time. So he's going to go down probably as one of the most beloved players in program history. And so uh, you got to love a guy like that. And he's got some good players to work with. Colin Johnson, one of my favorite receivers to watch. He's 6'6", athletic, fast, uh, definitely has a, a chance to have a huge year. Um, little Jordan Humphrey, of course, declared early for the draft. So uh, Johnson is the clear number one guy. It'll be interesting to see who steps up and uh, is a compliment. It's a number two, number three guy. They've got two very highly rated players in Devin Duvernay and uh, John Burt, who's back after not having played last year. Uh, those guys are rated 196.92 respectively. So Obviously, they've got the potential to do some big things. And then uh, an intriguing true freshman, Jake Smith, uh, had to move him up on the uh, depth chart uh, earlier today because it seems he's just going to put himself uh, in a position to get early playing time. Wouldn't be surprised if he works himself into that uh, number three role uh, eventually. The offensive line is a strength. We have him ranked 10th in uh, the country and number one in the Big 12. So you have to hope that that unit's going to keep Ellinger healthy, give him time to throw, and hopefully open up a few more holes for uh, the rushing game uh, than they had last year. A lot of people are very high on uh, Keontae Ingram. I know he put uh, an extra 15 pounds on over the offseason. So hopefully he's able to keep his speed, but also uh, can use that extra weight uh, uh, while he's running, uh, run with with uh, great strength. And I've heard just great, great things about Jordan uh, Whittington. The coaches seem to be just raving about him. He's a guy that can do some very exciting things as a running back, but he's also uh, been a receiver in the past as well. And so you have to like his ability to get involved in, in multiple areas. Defensively, 
they lost just a ton of production. Um, they do have three 100-rated players, linebacker Jeffrey McCulloch. You mentioned Caden Stearns, who's a rare 100-rated player as a sophomore, uh, but he, he was the most productive player on this defense last year as far as our metrics go. And then the other safety, Brandon Jones, um, is highly rated as well. So they've got talent. They're number two in the Big 12 as far as roster strength and also as far as their average 247 sports rating. Um, so this is a very, very talented team. Uh, they're going to be favored in 11 games during the regular season, um, but there's one game that they're not going to be favored in. And uh, they, they beat them last year, uh, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just uh, we'll have to see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll see is, is what I mean. That's all I can say here. You know, the Red River shootout tends to be a crazy game any, either way. I mean, uh, it seems like the favorite team uh, it wins it less times than they should. Uh, John, uh, what is your outlook on the Longhorns? And remember, we have another show to do later. So, I've so be already... nice. No, hey, I went on. Um, someone invited me on to a college fantasy football um, segment on um, radio, and I predicted the Longhorns are going to the playoffs. Yeah. I think I think they are. He asked me for my hot take. I think by far Texas is the best team in this conference. I'm all about um, Sam, hashtag Sam for Heisman. I think this team is loaded. I'm a big believer in Tom Herman. You have quarterback turnover at Oklahoma. You have some question marks at Oklahoma. This year, their two biggest games, Texas is playing LSU and Oklahoma, I think they win both of those games. I think they go undefeated. Ellinger, to me, is a great, great chance at winning the Heisman Trophy. I am all in. Chips on the table, baby. Go Longhorns. I think they're going to have a spectacular year. This is why me and John get along so well. So, uh, <laughs> it's the the unconditional pandering to me is fantastic, John. I love it, and it's also not just pandering to me. That's his actual take. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I'm not a Texas guy, but their right. offense, and I love Colin Johnson. Guys, man, he is cheap in college fantasy football. I'm getting him like crazy. I think they're going to be very good on offense. For all the trash I talk about UConn, uh, there's no way he would do this just to appease me. So no. uh, <laughs> the the number one team in the conference that we have, Nick, is Oklahoma. And they're rated three overall, so it's tough to not be number one in the conference. Uh, I mean, the past two Heisman winners have come from this school. You know, Lincoln, Lincoln Riley is an incredible coach. Um, the defense was just horrid last year. Season, last season, though, it was the worst season I've seen them have in a long time on defense. And they always recruit well, so we know the talents there. They just did not perform. So, uh, Nick, tell us about Oklahoma and why they are potentially a national title contender. Yeah, and you said it. We do project them to be a national championship contender. We've got nine sets of power ratings uh, that are available to our uh, Tier 3 patrons. All of them project the Sooners to be favored in all 12 regular season games, which means, of course, that we would favor them over anyone in the Big 12 championship game. So Ooh. if you're going 13-0, and 0, <laughs> they're, they're uh, going to be in the playoff. But... On the other hand, based on our win probability projections, we only uh, have them winning 9.8 games on average. So just when you tally up, you know, if they've got 
a 75% chance in this game and an 81% chance in this game. That's only working itself out statistically to right around 10 games. So there's definitely an opportunity uh, for them to be knocked off. And I'll sort of use this opportunity to, to maybe do a devil's advocate here because I did write about uh, Oklahoma as a national championship contender for majorwager.com, uh, who I do some work for. Uh, so you can check that out and see why I think that they'll compete for the title. But on the other hand, the way it could go wrong for Oklahoma, um, you mentioned the defense was just horrific. This is uh, the number one uh, defensive line and number one linebacker as far as a roster strength ratings go statistically, but that just didn't translate last year. Um, And then Alex Grinch, everybody is is very – complimentary of the new defensive coordinator who did some good things at Washington State and then uh, was at Ohio State last year, a lot of people think, okay, Alex Grinch is going to be able to turn this defense around. I was of that opinion as well, but then I looked at his D.C. rating. I was very surprised to see that he only has a 79.63, which ranked 62nd in the country and number seven in the Big 12. So, by our numbers, which looks at historical performance, statistical performance, uh, he's not a top 10 defensive coordinator. He's not even a top 50 defensive coordinator. And that's hard for me to say because he is so highly regarded. But um, on paper, at least, or, or on spreadsheet, rather, hmm. um, we're definitely lower on Alex Grinch than most. So there's a scenario where uh, this team does not raise its uh, you know fulfill its potential with all these four and five star uh, players especially in the secondary which was just torched at times last year uh, another area of concern is the offensive line only one starter returns we mentioned before that doesn't necessarily mean that this uh, you know will be a bad offensive line it's very possible that this would be uh, still the best offensive line in the Big 12 by the end of the season um, because they do have one of the best offensive line coaches in the country. But if you're looking at a unit that does not have chemistry, has not worked together, uh, you're you're probably going to see uh, some underclassmen starting. Right now we've got three sophomores in the projected starting lineup, and, and uh, redshirt freshman Bray Walker is probably that sixth man who might uh, push for one of the tackle spots. So you're going to be relying on some young players who haven't played very much. Uh, Only one returning starter, Creed Humphrey, the center. They brought in a guy, R.J. Proctor, who started 12 games uh, in his career at Virginia. He's a grad transfer. So if that unit doesn't click, if they don't gel, um, that could certainly be an issue. And then uh, my final thing, this has been kind of knocking around my head the last few days as we were leading up and I was researching for today's pod. Um, A few years ago, I was a huge, huge Gus Malzahn fan. Uh, When I was getting into coaching, um, Malzahn was kind of rising through the ranks uh, at Tulsa, did some great things as an offensive coordinator, and then at Auburn when uh, he had Cam Newton. And then the first year when he was the head coach at Auburn, obviously took them from a losing record to the BCS championship game. And I remember thinking – this team's just never going to lose again. Like, <laughs> Malzahn is just an offensive genius. He's smarter than everybody. He's playing chess. They're playing checkers. The, Auburn's just unbeatable. Well, the next few years, 
<laughs> Auburn has proved to be very beatable, um, and you know, and he's consistently on hot, li- you know, hot seat lists. Um, so in the SEC, opposing defensive coordinators uh, eventually figured out. Gus Malzahn a little bit, and then he relinquished some uh, play calling duties, and that didn't necessarily work out for him. We'll see how it pays off this year when he uh, starts calling the plays again, but eventually people caught up to Gus Malzahn in the SEC. In the Big 12, there's a much bigger gap because the defenses across the board have not been as strong, but you have to think, you know, a guy like Gary Patterson might eventually figure out Lincoln Riley. Right. Um, you know, the, the staff at Iowa State, who's been so creative and who has beaten Oklahoma uh, in, in just the last couple of years, um, they might figure out Lincoln Riley. Maybe Matt Rule and, and, and Phil Snow at Baylor, maybe they will figure it out. Maybe Chris Kleiman, who's a defensive mastermind and, and has worked at a different level that Riley maybe is not. Uh, you know, he, he probably hasn't watched a whole lot of North Dakota State tape over the last few years. So uh, there are, again, new coaching staffs elsewhere. Somebody eventually is going to, you know, throw some new things at, at Riley that he hasn't seen or, or, you know, find maybe a couple of answers that have been lacking the last few years. Somebody might eventually uh, catch up because I've caught myself thinking like, man, Oklahoma's never going to lose again. They're never going to not score 50 points again. This is this is just such an explosive team. But I have to think somebody's going to figure it out eventually. Could it be this year? Maybe. Especially weak. if the offensive line. The schedule is weak. But- uh, the schedule's weak, too. And, and I think that it could be the, the point here, Nick, where nobody figures out Oklahoma and they still don't make the playoff because the schedule isn't good enough. Because if Texas isn't as good as I think they are and we think they are, and they're kind of a middle-of-the-road team instead of a you know team that the only loss on their schedule is Oklahoma and possibly LSU. You know the out-of-conference games they play are Houston, uh, South Dakota, and UCLA. So those are not tough games for a team of Oklahoma stature. So uh, I mean, it's doubtful that they go undefeated and don't make the playoff. But it could be one of those weird years where you're putting in a one-loss team over a team like Oklahoma because they didn't play anybody. It might certainly could work out that way. Yeah, and we've seen them slip up each of the last uh, few years. I mean, they they haven't gone through the regular season unscathed. So yeah, they can't uh, lose a game this year. And uh, yeah, especially if, you know, UCLA, you know, struggles again, uh, then that's not going to not going to look great. And Houston has transitioned. So, um, yeah, it it seems that the the margin for error is definitely slim. Um, But then on the other hand, at times they just seem unbeatable uh, from an offensive standpoint. And if the defense um, closes the gap, then this definitely is a team that could challenge for the title. But you can see a scenario where. Things don't go to plan. I mean, the defense has to be better, right, John? This team uh, defensively was terrible last year, which made for an amazing CFF season for us. So many players because not only were they outscoring everybody, but they couldn't stop anyone either, so they had to keep putting points on the board. So they were a lot of fun to watch uh, last season for us. So what do you think of Oklahoma this year? So there's a couple reasons why I believe Texas is better. One, the offensive line to me, I'm a big believer in offensive line. Obviously, in the NFL, it means everything. But college football, to have upperclassmen with game experience 
And Texas has their left tackle and their center. And to me, those are the two most important positions on the line. Oklahoma's only coming in with one returning offensive lineman. That bothers me. Two, there has never been a time in the history of college football that you have had three different Heisman winners all from the same school win in consecutive years. So you're asking Lincoln Riley and Jalen Hurts to do something that has never been done, and we're talking since 1935. So you're looking at about 70, what is that? 65 and 18 would be um, 83 Heisman Trophy winners. I do not believe that Jalen Hurts can put up the type of season that Mayfield and Murray have had in Lincoln Riley's system. Look, at Mayfield and Murray have been two of the most efficient quarterbacks in the glorious history of this game. Now, we've already seen Jalen Hurts play football at Alabama. It's not like we don't know what he is. He's an inaccurate quarterback who takes off and runs. He lost the job. Now, granted, he lost it to Tua, so that's not like an embarrassment. But he is not the most accurate passer. Mayfield and Murray were simply and absolutely brilliant. They were top five picks both in the NFL draft. So Number you're, one. No, yeah, you're right. <laughs> So you're so you're expecting Jalen Hurts, who we have seen a lot of. We've and you're expecting him to plop into the system. And Nick, you were mentioning it. Eventually, smart people figure things out. There's got to be enough smart people in this conference to slow down Oklahoma a little bit. Now. Why was Lincoln Riley's defense, people, he's an offensive coach. He has had brilliant quarterback play the last two seasons. Brilliant. You're not going to find that type of production at the grocery store. You just can't go and get it. Everyone just thinks this is a plug and play. You put him in and Jalen Hurts is going to win the Heisman. I don't believe it. So what does that mean? If the defense isn't as good, Lincoln Riley is not paying attention to the defense. He is focusing on the offensive side of the football. If that defense does not improve, which I don't think it will, because is Riley attention to detail? Is he a detail-oriented defensive coach? I have not seen it. I've actually seen an erosion on the defensive side of the football. What makes me think that they're going to magically get better with the coach who is in love with offense and thinks anyone can play quarterback in his system and he can out-scheme everyone? Eventually, that catches up to you. I think Texas, if I was Texas, and I'm not, but I would run the football literally 
45 times against that Oklahoma front seven. I would pound him, and I would pound him, and I would smack him in the head, and I'm going to pound him again. Because I don't think think Oklahoma can withstand a physical offensive team. And with those two running backs and with the running quarterback, Texas can control the clock. Texas can beat them if they get 40 minutes of possession I love Texas here. I, I look. I love it, John. Obviously, I I love that. Um, you know, the numbers say different stuff, so we have to respect that. But uh, <laughs> oh, I, no, I love John's passion. <laughs> well, and the numbers are not perfect uh, right. by any by any stretch, and we never uh, say that they are. It just gives us a, a way to sort of uh, identify strengths and weaknesses, and and you know, maybe there are things out there that. Um, that the numbers uh, present that that don't uh, translate, you know, uh, or that a coach can can uh, overcome or a player can overcome. We've obviously seen that before. But uh, for the record, I am a Jalen Hurts fan. I think he's going to be very, very good. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, there's, you know, Oklahoma seems on paper like they should be much better defensively. John brought up some great points that perhaps, you know, Riley as an offensive play caller just hasn't uh, put the uh, effort into it. But then on the other hand, um, you know, he seems kind of like the guy that says, all right, Alex Grinch, you're the head coach of the defense. So go, you know, fix the defense. And and there are some benefits to that as well. If you're a defensive coach, some, some guys really like, their offensive, uh, or excuse me, their their head coach to sort of leave them alone. And if this is that sort of situation, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe Grinch can go in and, and really take charge of that unit and get them playing uh, to a higher level. But um, there definitely are some areas of concern, and, and uh, John brought up some great points, some vulnerabilities that uh, could hurt them this year for sure. And we'd like to thank John for joining us on this show today. That is going to wrap us up. For the Big 12 preview, uh, you can find uh, find him on the Twitter at Gridiron Skull. Uh, what is it again, John? Gridiron Skull 91? Gridiron Skull 91. I could not afford the A and the R when I originally got on to Twitter six years ago. And, uh, you know, before before you tell us about Patreon, Nick, was it bike week? I mean, I was not making a comment during the show, but <laughs> there were a lot of motorcycles behind you on this show today. Downtown Concord, New Hampshire, for some reason, uh, <laughs> sounds like a, uh, yeah. It sounds like you, I don't you live next to the biker, to the biker bar. bar. But there must be one uh, within a short bike ride away. That's, that's for sure. Well, tell the people about uh, the CFB Winning Edge Patreon. Absolutely. Uh, CFB uh, winning Edge on, on Patreon or patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. We've got three levels uh, for our supporters. They start as little as $5 per month. That gives you access to daily updated depth charts, uh, which can be very valuable. Uh, no matter your interest in college football, if you're just a fan, if you're a college fantasy football player and want to know, you know who's starting, who's in a uh, committee situation, things like that, we can help. If you want to know injuries, we do injury reports inside those databases as well. Uh, So for $5 a month, you can have access to those which are updated daily as we get news, as we see things. Uh, For uh, level two patrons, we go farther in depth 
all of our ratings that we've been referring to are individual player ratings. We've got over 11,000 of them. We've rated every head coach, every offensive coordinator, every defensive coordinator based on uh, a wide variety of factors. And then for our level three patrons, we've got complete databases of all sorts of things, team performance. Um, you can download and save our databases uh, and edit them for your own personal needs. So a lot of people are very interested in running their own reports and, and crunching their own numbers. And we uh, are able to help with that um, as well. So uh, patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Uh, you can reach out to me on Twitter at any time at CFB Winning Edge or uh, email questions at uh, CFB Winning Edge at gmail.com. Uh, always happy to help answer questions or, or uh, comments or, or anything as well. Pretty easy to get a hold of. And next week's show, what, which conference are we previewing? Next week, we've got the Big Ten, and uh, hopefully Xavier's computer will be uh, up and running and he'll be able to. Uh, help us out with that one but uh, again of course thanks very much uh, to John for offering his insight uh, for us last minute really appreciate it and uh, brought some great stuff for us and uh, remember you thanks. can find us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge at Gridiron Skull 91 for John at Xavier Trish Xavier underscore Trish and at Bogman Sports and we will see you guys for the Big Ten next week take it easy everybody <laughs>